you know, during life we meet many people. Some people make more of an impression than others. And in the world of Judaism, there are many different types of people also that we look to have inspiration from and to learn from. Could be great rabbis, could be great teachers, great professors. Could be somebody who just, because of decisions they make in their life, make a real impression on us, deep in our heart and our soul because of the example that they've set. We have with us somebody tonight who's set that example, who's taken upon himself a journey of truth, a journey to really discover the heart and the soul of Judaism, and it has ended up in Jerusalem, which is the heart and soul of the Jewish world. It's my pleasure to have with us and to introduce to you Ahuva Gray. Ahuva, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Can you give us a little bit of your background and what brings you here to the Jewish Spotlight? At the moment, I'm here on a lecture tour, and I start here on the East Coast, and I will leave here and go to Chicago. From Chicago, I go to San Antonio, Texas. From there to St. Louis, from St. Louis to Los Angeles, from there to London, and then back home. And home is? Home is Jerusalem. Jerusalem, ah, city <laughs> of gold. That's great. How do you like Jerusalem? I love it. It's my most favorite place in the world. I now, used to be a flight attendant. Oh, really? And I've traveled almost all over the world, but still, Jerusalem is my heartbeat. Now, everybody out there is wondering, what brings you to Jerusalem? How did this happen? You, especially coming from where you came from. Can you tell us a little bit of your background? I know you wrote a book, which I want to show here before you give your explanation, a book which tells a little bit about who and what you are and what your journey was all about and where it took you. Fascinating book, which we're going to give the website for it if anybody's interested in having any more information about it. It's called My Sister, the Jew. And if you could tell us how you came from, was it Georgia? No, I was born and raised in Chicago. In Chicago, okay. But your parents were from? Mount Bayou, Mississippi, which you probably never heard of. No, you could say <laughs> that again, right. And tell us, uh, tell us about your journey. I want to start off by telling you this is I did a lecture tour through Australia, and one of the topics in that lecture tour was humble beginnings and lofty conclusions. I was born and raised in Chicago, but every summer our parents would send us to Mount Bayou, Mississippi to visit our grandparents. And there is where the seeds to my spiritual life were planted at a humble table in the South with my grandparents because they were two of the most devout Christians I ever knew. And my grandmother was a person that was always emphatic about you children must learn how to honor God. At that time... They were Southern Baptists. They were, they were Baptists, not okay. Southern Baptists because Southern Baptists means majority white. So they were Southern... They were black Baptists. Okay. And what happened is my grandmother would always say to us, you children must learn how to honor God. So the Christian Sabbath was on Sunday. So every Saturday, all of our preparation for Shabbat was done on Saturday. Right. She would braid her hair, tie a scarf around it. She ironed her clothes back there and, and laid them out on the bed. And back there in those day, this, days, they had these big pot belly stoves. She cooked all of her food on Saturday night. And then on Sunday morning when we got up to go to church, the table was already set. She would put her food on that black pot belly stove. But the reason I share this story with you is because when we came home from church, from the oldest child to the youngest, we had to say a Bible verse. And my grandmother taught all of her, us, her grandchildren, great-grandchildren, the 23rd Psalms. I happened to learn it when I was four years old. But the reason I attribute that I am an Orthodox Jew today is because of the training that I got at that humble table 
in Mount Bayou, Mississippi. Interesting, because the connection to God was felt there and something that really very, very, very deeply. Very, very strong. And where did you take it from there? As you grew up and you were a teenager, were you yourself <laughs> were very religious Baptists as well? My parents were religious in Chicago, but not on the same level as my grandparents. However, what happened to me is this, is I went to Jerusalem for the first time to start my own travel management company specializing in group movements to Israel, Egypt, and Greece. The first time I went to Israel, we were leaving Tel Aviv, coming around that first curve into Yerushalayim. Right. My heart started pulsating like it was coming out of my chest, and I said, oh, my God, I'm at home. And when just I like s- that. Just like that. When I said that, I really meant it. And what year was this? And this was in 1991. Now, you were already a minister, as I understand, correct? I was an ordained minister for 14 years. I studied the Tanakh, the Bible, for 14 years. I taught my own self, the Hebrew alphabet, and that's what led me to the image, to the truth. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, when I hear about somebody who, uh, who came from a Christian background and made a type of transition that you did, there must have been something in your own soul, some stirring that caused you to be dissatisfied, perhaps, with where you were at spiritually that gave you that sense of wanting to strive to go on to something else. What, what was it that was going inside of you that caused that stirring? Let me explain it the same way that the Huffesheim explains it. It is brought down by our rabbis of blessed memory that before the Torah was given over to the Jewish people at Har Sinai, at Mount Sinai, that Hashem went around to all the other nations and that even though the majority of those people turned the Torah down, we are taught that every Jewish soul on a higher level was there and so there were individuals among those people that wanted the Torah. So they explain a person like myself, if you will, as a reincarnation of one of those souls. That's probably the best way I have of explaining it as well. All right. In other words, you feel, feel, which is really a traditional explanation, that your soul was always a Jewish soul. Correct. It was put into your body. And in fact, this is one of the very interesting explanations of the Talmud. Because the Talmud talks about a convert and said, a gash in his guy, a convert who converts. And the question that our rabbis ask is, why does it say a convert that converts? Why doesn't it say a non-Jew who converts? And the explanation is because a convert was always in potentia a convert, a Jewish soul waiting to come to a revealed status of that their true being is to convert to Judaism, meaning just to convert the body to be consistent with the nature of the soul. That is correct. So when you saw Jerusalem, the electricity was there, you knew that this was it. That was it. But still I want to know, what was it about your your religious tendencies? Your, I mean, 14 years as a minister is a pretty heavy-duty commitment. Correct. So w- was there something there, that there's some stirrings that caused you to question whether or not this is really what you wanted to do for the rest of your life? I explain the story this way, is that it took an earthquake, if you will, to shake me out of my comfort zone. What happened is January 17, 1994, I lived in California for 10 years in the San Fernando Valley before I moved to Jerusalem. And this particular morning at 4.32 a.m., so to speak, we had an earthquake it was about 6.7 on the Richter scale. That's pretty good. Yes. And I woke up that morning. Now, I am not a fearful person. And at first, when my bed started shaking so violently, I thought perhaps this is a dream and I'm in turbulence because I used to be a flight attendant. But when I was shaking violently from my bed to the floor, I said, get up, girl. This is not a dream. It's an earthquake. As I started running, I started quoting a Tehillim which I love, a a Psalms from the book of Psalms that I love very dearly. And it's Psalms 121 where King David says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. 
from which cometh my help, all of my help cometh from the Lord. By the time I finished quoting that entire Tehillim, I realized at that moment in time in my life that I was moving to Israel because I had been to Israel 14 times in four years. And that was my wake-up call, so to speak. Interesting. Okay. Very good. So once you got to Israel, what did you do? Did you immediately jump into Judaism, or you just did the Israeli thing? Now, I need to regress just a bit and explain to you. After I started my travel management company, specializing in group movements to Israel, I worked on a project with a Jewish documentary filmmaker that was called the Festival of Freedom. And at that time, I was still an ordained minister, but the attraction was is that you had this ordained minister and um, myself and a documentary, a Jewish documentary filmmaker working on this project, and it was multicultural. And we took Jews and Christians to Egypt and Israel during Passover. And we had an Orthodox Passover Seder led by an Orthodox rabbi. We got a lot of publicity from Jerusalem Post, Yidio Yaharinot, which is a, a, a native paper there. Right. And we were on Boca Tov Israel, CNN News, And we started being introduced to a lot of rabbis in Jerusalem. And what happened is I was invited to study Hebrew at Old Old Panakiba. And I met other people there. And I had heard a lot about being in Jerusalem for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And so I had a group that was scheduled to come. They canceled. I stayed for those two high holidays. And not only that, I stayed at the Mariah Hotel. I had met this lovely Orthodox family in uh, Old Katamon, which is very close, walking distance. I spent the Shabbosos, the meals with them for Shabbos, and for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I went with them to their shul, which is the first Orthodox synagogue I had ever been in in my life. And for Yom Kippur, I did the fast. I was still an right. ordained minister, but I happened to walk in on Kol Nidre. And how did that impress you? And Kol Nidre, what, of course, is the special, very hallowed prayer that we say on the eve of Yom Kippur. Correct. And it is the introduction to the Day of Atonement. Correct. So when I walked in, I was standing there and I listened to the sound of Kol Nidre. And it's like my soul, my neshama knew that niggin. I wept all the way through it. There was this lovely lady standing next to me that kept handing over Kleenexes. And the more I sobbed, the more Kleenex she passed over. Now, I did not know at that time that you do not talk to Kol Nidre. Neither did I know that Kol Nidre was a nullification of all past and future vows. However... When I left Bet Knesset Yakar that particular night, I walked down the streets in Yerushalayim, and I start quoting a verse from Isaiah 40 that says, Every valley should be exalted, every hill and mountain should be made low, the crooked places should be made straight, and the rough places should be made plain, and the glory of the Lord should be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And I felt like that's exactly what had happened to me in my life, because I had been on a search mission for 48 years, and it all culminated in the courts of Kol Nidre. And I start saying, I know who my God is. Interesting. That's when I came to the reality that I was converting. Interesting. Tell me, you live in Bayez Vagan, which yes. is a wonderful community. A lot of Americans there, a lot of Balei Tshuva, a lot of people who return to Israel to become Orthodox and become religious. It's a very exciting community. Can you tell our, our viewership about what is going on over there? I mean, there's such a massive movement of Jews throughout the world who are coming back to Israel, who are embracing Judaism, who come from backgrounds like yourself had nothing to do with Judaism, or they themselves being Jewish, who are now so excited about being able to live as Jews. Can you tell us a little bit about the electricity of, of being in Jerusalem, what that's like? It's, I know it's impossible to communicate on, on, uh, verbally, <laughs> but let, it, our, let it us... It will be my pleasure. 
We have a Tehillim that says, it's Psalms uh, 122, it says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet will stand within your gates, O Jerusalem. And it talks about how Jerusalem is built up as a city uh, by God. But my neighborhood, by Vagan, translates as house and garden. Now, often when I lecture at Hebrew University, I've lectured at Oxford University in Oxford, England, students ask me, they say, Ahuva, what is it like living in a, a, a religious neighborhood? And I explain to them this. Now, in my neighborhood, all the men dress in black suits and black hats. So I explain to them that I move from one black neighborhood to another black neighborhood. <laughs> the question they are really asking me is, have I experienced any racial biasness being an African-American Jewess living in Jerusalem in a, in a religious neighborhood? And the answer to that question is, I have not. I have been loved and embraced by everyone in my community and all over the world where I have traveled. I've traveled to Hong Kong where Rabbi Abzan uh, of Chabad is there. Every, actually, everywhere I've traveled, Chabad is all over the world. I've been all over Australia and to uh, South Africa and to Belgium and to London many, many times, and Chabad is there. What kind of reaction do audiences have to you? They're stunned. <laughs> Most of them. You know the major question I'm asked by my audiences is this. They say, well, you're a very spiritual person, and you come from a religious uh, Christian background, and you, you feel very motivated, and you're inspirational to pray. How do we get that? So the way I answer that question is this. I'm working on my second book, which will be called The Gift of a Stranger, and it has to do with all of my travels throughout the different places in the world I've traveled, but I'm trying to give concepts of Jewish prayer in this book as well. Before I came on this lecture tour, I finished up davening at the hotel at the Western Wall. for meaning prayer. Yeah, for 40 days consecutive. It's like a special segula, we call it, as a, a treasure. And you, if you have any special prayer requests, right we know that Hashem will definitely answer it. So I davened at the hotel for 40 days at the Western Wall, and I felt before I finished this davening that every one of my prayers was answered. And, and you talked about the, the momentum and the atmosphere in, in Israel at the moment. You know, we just finished up the, the war in Iraq, and I want you to know Jews all over Israel, we went about our normal everyday life, and we davened for all the soldiers. It was very high energy. This Passover, this Pesach, was the most unbelievable, spiritual, high, enlightening, uplifting. Our shul, the davening, at our, I davened at a Haredi Litvak shul in Jerusalem called Hagra that is led by Rabbi Leib Hyman, who is a halakhic authority. He poskins, he gets uh, questions from all over the world, and it was so high. It was like the men were, like, jumping up and down, so to speak, and they are very conservative. But it was like... Very nice. When you go around and you speak in different places, what is the message you're trying to get? What do you want to have as a response from the people? Do you have a goal in mind? Is there some way that you want to touch people's hearts, whether it be... Uh, Jew and non-Jew, non-religious Jew, religious Jew? My goal is to bring Jews closer together and to bring Jews closer to Hashem. I think it behooves Jewish people all around the world to daven. You know, our rabbis, the blessed memory, hold that every Jew has a special mitzvah that they feel very, a, a good deed that they feel very much attached to. And I feel that if I have any good deed that I feel especially attached to is, it is davening, praying every day. I, I pray three times a day, and I try to inspire that and give that over to other Jewish people. Most people say that my lectures uh, inspire them. I was in South Africa eating in a restaurant in Johannesburg, and this lady came over to me, and I had tears in my eyes. She says, are you a Hoover Gray? 
And I said, yes. She says, I want you to know that I am, I'm praying the Psalms every day because of your grandmother. Really? And I said, what a sahoots, what a merit for my grandmother from a share, a daughter of a sharecropper from Mound Bayou, Mississippi. Her story made it all the way to South Africa. That's great. It must make you feel very good. It makes me feel very proud of my heritage. <clears throat> very nice. Question, the seven Noahide laws. Yes. It's a topic that people are, for the most part, not aware of. I'm sure you've discussed it with people as well. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what those seven Noahide laws right. are and, and what the importance of, the, of them are in Judaism? The importance of the seven Noahide laws is they're contained in the Torah and therefore a righteous Gentile. And it's actually, it consists of more than seven laws, but it's seven teachings that have a broader meaning. And what was interesting is before I converted to Orthodox Judaism, the rabbis in my neighborhood had me sit down and meet with a, a gentleman that heads up that organization in Jerusalem. Really? And I sat and I met with him for, uh, actually he spoke to me for about an hour and a half to two hours, and I'm a very good listener, and I listened to everything he had to say, he showed me his literature, and when he finished, I looked at him and I said, thank you very much, but that's not enough for me. Oh, so, so the rabbis had you sit with them because they wanted... Because they... Wa you, you don't need to convert to become a Jew. It's good enough if you live a, a righteous life as a Gentile. That's which is, correct. Which is perfectly legitimate Jewish teaching that we're not out to convert people. Judaism is not interested in proselytizing. If a person knocks on the door and keeps on knocking and knocks down the door, then you know already that this is somebody who uh, we, you don't stop from converting. That is correct. And talking about knocking on the door and keep on knocking, my conversion with the Jerusalem Best Inn took two years. Now, in my book, when I write about this story, I call it a Harvard conversion because this is precisely what it is, what it was, actually. The rabbis turned me down my traditional three times, which is halakhically proper. And not only that, they closed my file, refused to reopen it. Finally, it was reopened. And, 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 I'm not, and listen, I want you to know that this is perfectly legitimate, and I have the highest respect for the Jerusalem Best Inn. And after that, my conversion was completed. I had this wonderful party, uh, a suda, a party in my neighborhood, and also the, the seminary where I studied, Nishmat, gave me a special party, and they closed the entire seminary down. The English-speaking girls were there. The Hebrew-speaking girls were there. And I walked in the door, and I saw this huge sign that said, Simantol Mazatol congratulations. And uh, it was incredible. That's very nice. Well, listen, Ahuva means the loved one. So I guess you have a lot of people who love you over there. And you know what? I, it's, it, you know what? This past week's Parsha had a lot of commandments in it, and it had the, the mitzvah of keeping Shabbos, and it also had the mitzvah of uh, revering your parents, and it also had the mitzvah that it's a commandment from Hashem, from God, that the Jewish people should love a convert. And when I was in my home having Shabbos before I left to come here, I was reading the, the weekly uh, Torah reading uh, after uh, my Shabbos meal that Friday evening, and I sat in my chair and literally cried because I have experienced that love that Hashem commanded upon the Jewish people That's to right. love a convert. And it's from my neighborhood and from all these wonderful neighborhoods where I've traveled around the world, and especially since I've been here with you and your family. That's very nice. Very, very nice. Tell me, uh, what message would you like to give to the Jews who are watching this now? about Judaism, about what you discovered about Judaism, something that you feel they, as American Jews, with the problems that we face here in America, the problems of raising Jewish children, the problems of our society, you know, from you, gleaning from your personal experiences, what message do you think would really be important for them to hear? I think the 
the biggest message I would like to give to America, because I know there's a lot of assimilation here, and I, I, I feel that I need to say that because it is the truth. But I just want to say to Jews, here in America especially, that the Torah is the emes. And I know people have difficulty. Emes means? MS means the truth. Thank you for reminding me. And that the law was given over to the Jewish people at Har Sinai. I was there. In fact, to bear that story out, when I, that project that I spoke to you about with that Jewish documentary filmmaker when I was still an ordained minister, she and I was at a, uh, a service in Los Angeles conducted by Rabbi Stan Levy. And he told the story of the Jewish people and how the law was given over to them at Har Sinai, at Mount Sinai. I had not ever been in a, 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 a shul before, a synagogue before in my life and heard a rabbi tell the story. And at that time, I did not even know I was converting. I did not know I was moving to Israel. But when that rabbi told that story and he closed that uh, story out with a prayer because it was Shavuos and I had never been to a Shavuos service before in a synagogue. And when he finished, I was holding Ruth's hand and I looked at her when he finished closing that prayer. And I said, Ruth, I know you're not going to believe this, but I was at Sinai when the law was given to the Jewish people. And she looked at me and she said, Ahuva, I know. I had even assumed that name before I even know I was converting. Rabbi David Rosen in Jerusalem gave me that name. Very nice. Another interesting thing, when she and I would work on that project, we did it three years consecutive, and whenever we would go to Israel and we'd be having an interview with radio or television, people would look at me and they would say, are you Jewish? And I would go, no. And they would say, are you Ethiopian? And I would go, no. And they would say, well, who are you? I'd go, I'm African-American, and I have two black parents home to, to verify. <laughs> and we'd be walking down the street, and people would ask me that. Are really? you Jewish, or are you Ethiopian? And I'd go, no, I'm African-American. How do black people here in the States react to you? You know, that's interesting. Or your family? Uh, my family has been very supportive. Uh, they are just unusual. My sister has been to Jerusalem to visit me. She, went, she goes to all of my lectures when I'm in Los Angeles, California. She came to my home. She went to my Haredi Litvak Shul to Dobbin. She brought a nice book to read because she didn't have a clue of what was going on. She went, to all, <laughs> she went to all of my Shabbos meals with me, and she thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed herself. And other black people that you meet, how do they react? You know what? I, I have a relationship. Especially with a Baptist who, who might feel slighted that, you know, how could you exchange our religion for Judaism? I understand. Unfortunately, I don't have many of those relationships any longer because we live in two different worlds. So I don't have those uh, friendships with my old community, Christian community, because it would be pointless to try to maintain those relationships. Right, so as if you would be trying to convince them to follow right. your footsteps. But what I do do is I travel around the world in, in Macarb Jews to teach Jews and encourage Jews to get closer to Hashem. And the one message I'd like to give to the Jewish people around the world is that we're all one neshama, we're all one soul, and we're all one. Habad, Haredi, uh, Kippashuga. Right. A Jew is a Jew. A, is a Jew, Jew is a Jew is a Jew. As one somebody once explained, there's no such thing that God, when He sends each person a soul, doesn't come with a label. This is a reform soul. This is a Hasidic right. soul. This is a conservative soul or a reform soul. And I spoke for some reform Jews in Ventura County last time I was there. I was the first Orthodox Jew to ever address them in their breakfast uh, room, and they were very appreciative and very thankful. And I helped them to understand a lot more about Orthodox Judaism. They bought my book. I've been in communication with some of them since then. What kind of questions did they have for you? They asked me questions about the separation, uh, the mehitza, the separation between men and women with the davening. Do I find it offensive? And I said, not at all. I find it very enlightening because it gives me my privacy and intimacy with Hashem that I need. They talked about, they see, they, they don't understand. They think that Orthodox women are subservient and on some kind of lower level. Right, it's a very and I said that's, 
unfortunately. A, a misnomer because all of these well-known rabbis that I know, before they can make any decision, they have to check with their wives. <laughs> right. So Jewish women, we have a very high position in yes, Orthodox that's Judaism. Sure. And I met your lovely wife today, and she's a wonderful woman. She's and a very great. knowledgeable woman and an excellent lecturer because we talked all the way down <laughs> and I drive. I want to have go. her come to Israel, by the way, for a lecture. That would be wonderful. We're going to try to set that up. All right. Good. Can I come along? Why not? We'll bring a tour with us or something. <laughs> Speaking okay. of tours, I just had this creative idea before I left Jerusalem that we want to try to get uh, solidarity, mo solidarity movements to Israel. So I thought of this wonderful conference for writers that we're going to have, and it's going to be in September of this year. And this one's going to be for women only to kick it off. But anyone that's interested, they have my email address and they can contact okay, me. Okay, well, let's put your email address up there so Lovely. that they can find out, not only that, but your website in order that people should be able to check out where to find out about your book and to learn Absolutely. more about you. Could you read it out for your guests? Now, you want my email address? First, the website. Okay, my website address is www.mysistertojew.com, the same title as the book. Okay, great. And the email address is Ahuva. Eight at Barack dash online okay, dot let's net. Let's go there. It's A H U V A H and eight at, at Barack, which means lightning. That's it. And that's dash online dot net. Okay. That's correct. Very good. Well, I hope you get the, some responses. <laughs> I hope so. I shall let you know. You'll be able to continue your uh, very important work because lovely. It's, the fact is, it's uh, I'm sure for you, it's very gratifying to be able to have this kind of conversations, especially to realize that you have the ability to be an example to people, to be able to be a role model, especially for younger people, and that they should be able to see how you've made decisions in your life, and that each individual, every single person, has the ability to make decisions for their own life also. You know, very often, people just get swept along by their environment, by social mores, by political correctness, by just the easy way out. And as a result, they, even though they have things going on in the inside of them and they feel a certain churning and a certain desire for their, or a longing for something deeper in life, they very often just put it down and they don't let it express itself. And the fact that you were able to take this and you were able to run with it and you were able to say, okay, God, I don't know where it's <laughs> going to lead me, but I'm ready to go for the journey and let's find out. And that's a very hard thing to do. It's this very, is very difficult. This is the most fulfilling thing I have ever done in my life is to travel around the world to inspire Jews. And it's also the most difficult but the most fulfilling. And I love it very, very much. Very good. Very good. Well, I want to thank you very much for your time, for your visit, and I wish you only success and atzlacha. You should go out and uh, bring more, a lot of light to the world. Thank you so much. All right. In the meantime, I just want to ask everybody out there, give Ahuba's ideas, some of her comments, her <laughs> thoughts, Give them some thought yourself, because life is short. Our days are counted, and it's very easy to just go by day after day and not really stop to think about what we're doing here in this world. And here we have an example of somebody who really took it upon themselves to make their life something that they really wanted to do, an ideal that they wanted to reach, and that's something admirable and something that we never, ever regret. I never found anybody who regrets pursuing, finding that inner voice and getting in touch with it. So in the meantime, take care of yourself. All the best. We'll see you next week, same time, same station, in Jewish Spotlight. Shalom, and go out there and do something to make your world a better place. Shalom.